SCA, how we doing? We doing good? <clears throat> hey, uh, three quick things before, before we dive in. Number one, welcome back to Clemson. Uh, I hope everyone, yeah, 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 yeah. I got to be honest, I got a love-hate relationship with y'all being gone. I love it because there's parking, there's no traffic. Uh, Chipotle never runs out of guacamole. They ran out twice this week already. It's, it's ridiculous. But I hate it because my wife and I get lonely and it's a ghost town when y'all aren't here. And so I hope everyone had uh, an amazing summer. Welcome back. The second thing is this, and I, in all seriousness, I, I want you to uh, hear my heart in this. I, I preached in, in, in Georgia the other week in an event, and as I was preparing, I felt this just like um, this healthy weight of what I was stepping into as I was, as I was teaching that night. And, and I want you to know as I was preparing, I felt that healthy weight tonight as well. That there is a... Um, uh, I, just want, I just want you to hear from the bottom of my heart, I'm very humbled and honored to be here tonight. And I don't say that every time I preach. Like, I, I, genuinely, I genuinely mean that. The fact that God would want me to, to teach his word and to share his heart to, you know, a thousand, a thousand students is amazing to me. And so please know my heart is very just, like, humbled and grateful uh, to be here tonight. The third, third thing is this. Um, I, as I was praying into, into tonight, I, I really think that God wants to do something special tonight. I think that this is going to be a marker in some of your walks with Jesus. I believe there's going to be a stake in the ground for some of you in your journey with Jesus. I believe that uh, some of you are going to hear God for the first time and encounter God for the first time. And so I just, I genuinely believe at the end of my talk and as we go into worship on the back end of the night, that something special is going to happen. And so I want to invite you in uh, and, and, and ask you to lean into that. And so all that uh, to say, just so you're not talking to a stranger, my name is Glenn. Uh, I'm from Greenville. I'm actually on staff here at New Spring Clemson, so I feel like I'm, I'm on my home court tonight. I'm uh, the discipleship director here. Uh, I live literally fi five minutes up the road. I have a two-year-old son, and my wife is pregnant with, with baby number two. So, yes, yes, yes. And so, uh, anyways, hey, I'm, I'm going to jump right in, if that's cool. You can go ahead and turn it to, to Psalm 70, not Psalm 72, Psalm 27. Psalm 72 is good, too, but Psalm 27 we're going to be in verses 1 through 6, if you want to go ahead and turn there. And if you're taking notes, the title of this message, uh, I think it should be on this screen, but uh, the title of, of the message uh, is, is this, um, FCA, what will be your one thing? If you're taking notes, you can write that at the top, FCA, what will be your one thing? I'll give you some time uh, to write that out. And there's going to be kind of three uh, phases that we're going to work through. Phase number one, if you want to write this, is um, the problem. Phase number two is the solution. These aren't going to be on the screen. I'm just going to write this out for you. I think it will be helpful to have it. Phase number one, the problem. Phase number two, the solution. And phase number three, the blessings to the solution. So we got the problem, we got the solution, and we got the blessings to the solution. I'll give you all some time to, to write that down. The problem, the solution, and the blessings to the solution. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. Well, before I pray, I'm going to read uh, Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to work through each of these phases. Is that cool? Is that good? Great. Psalm 27. I'm in the ESV. A little bit of context. David uh, is, in a, in a, is in a crisis in this psalm. 
on an external and an internal level. There's so many crises that David went through in his life, we don't even know necessarily which one it was, but he's in the middle of some type of crisis and he writes this psalm. Here's what it says. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail against me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war break out against me, yet I will be confident. But one thing I have asked of the Lord, this only will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you, um, would you move tonight? God, would you, uh, would you speak through me? Would you speak individually to every person in this room? Uh, would you teach us how to make you our one thing, God? You're so kind and you're so beautiful and you're, and you're holy. And I just pray that, that you would just shift things in people's hearts tonight. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and give us hearts to receive. God, help me to get out of the way and just communicate your heart. We love you. We pray all these things in King Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, did you know we live in the most anxious nation in the world? Did you know this? Got some, okay, I hear. This is like, this isn't hyperbole, this isn't hype, this is a 100% objective statistic that you can look up. America is the number one anxious, most anxious nation in the world. And along with India and China, America is one of three of the most depressed nations in the world. Every year, anxiety, depression, fear, etc., it increases. And in the last couple of years since COVID, mental health has skyrocketed and it's gone through the roof. I actually gave some similar stats last year at FCA, uh, but these are updated since last year, uh, and they've gone even higher. So let me give you some stats. 56.2% of young adults, 18 to 24-year-olds, are dealing with depression and anxiety. 26% are dealing with suicidal thoughts. And drug and substance abuse is highest among 18 to 24-year-olds at 39%. Since COVID, this is over half of the young adults in the world are battling mental health. One, every, one in every four young adults have battled suicidal thoughts. And one in every three are numbing themselves with substance abuse. Let's, let's, let's be real here. There are overwhelming forces at a national and external level and a personal and internal level that at times can be mentally draining and exhausting. What the heck has happened to our world in the last two years? Has anyone stopped to think about this? I wrote a couple of things down. Global pandemic, political chaos, racial tensions, mass shootings, gas prices, current pressures of culture, and everyone seems to hate each other and we can't get along, right? And, and not only things on a national level, but on a personal level as well. People battling addiction, debt, 
college loans, workplace anxiety, pressure to perform, relational problems, family issues, body image issues, past or current abuse, overwhelming temptation, and personal insecurities. We could go on and on, right? And I hate to like be the Debbie Downer here, but I'm just, these are just the facts. Mental health, anxiety, worry, fear has become a normal uh, uh, rhythm of people's everyday life. Here's, here's another stat. This one kind of blew my mind, it, 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 but I get it. I've been there. Gen Z was labeled the most anxious generation in the history of the world. This generation labeled the most anxious generation in the history of the world. You may be wondering, why the heck am I telling you all this? Okay? Here's what I think is most interesting to me about working with this age group for the last five years. I hear it all the time, sitting across from coffee tables and lunches. I have this conversation over and over and over. In the midst of anxiety, fear, temptation, worry, etc., hear me. This is where I'm going tonight. Most people run to pretty much everything but God in these moments. I see some heads nodding. I'm going to say that again. In the midst of anxiety, fear, temptation, worry, etc., most people run to pretty much everything but God in these moments. And here's what they run to. As I was reading this, as I'm reading this, think through if you fit into any of these categories, okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. So in the midst of external or internal anxieties of life, young adults typically run to these things. More of the party scene, whether that's alcohol, drugs, or staying up way too late at night, running from the realities of life. More sex. More vegging their mind out, scrolling on social media. More Netflix, more food, more pornography, more craving likes on social media, more hookups, and more wanting unhealthy attention from other people. And hear me, some things aren't necessarily bad things to run, through, run to, they're just necessarily not the best thing to run to. So for example, more sleep, more friends to vent to, more schoolwork or just work in general to do, like, hey, I'm just going to kind of put my head down and just work and just forget about this stuff. And the last one, and I think this one is potentially the most dangerous if it's out of the wrong heart posture, more opportunities to serve in the church and in parachurch ministries, to serve God, right? Like, God, I'm just going to forget about this and I'm going to serve you. Does any of this resonate with anyone? And hear me, I'm throwing zero shade here because if we talked about what I ran to for the last 10 years of my life, we would be here a long time. Okay, so there is, hear, hear that, hear that freedom. There is, there's zero shade uh, being thrown tonight. And all of this relates perfect to Psalm 27 because Psalm 27 gives us the context of this text. This whole psalm is what a believer's life is supposed to be marked by in the time of crisis. Not only is Psalm 27 a time of national crisis, but it's a time of personal crisis for King David. And like I said, there's so many crises in his life, we don't necessarily know exactly which one he was going to, but here's a couple things he was, he was going through. Hated by his family, he was hunted by King Saul, right? King Saul was always wanting to murder him. He was chased down by Goliath, he was attacked by the Philistines and surrounding nations. He had civil crisis going on during his reign. His own son, Absalom, rebelled against him and he committed adultery and murder. Anxiety, insecurity, doubt, temptation was at the doorstep of David's life on an external and internal level. Does this sound familiar to anyone? So here's the problem. 
This is the first point. If you wrote the problem, the solution, the blessings to the solution, I don't know if the screens are working tonight, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with you. Here's the problem, okay? Our natural tendency during anxiety, fear, insecurity, depression, and temptation is to seek after everything but God. I already said this. I'll give you some time to write it. The problem, our natural tendency during anxiety, fear, insecurity, depression, and temptation is to seek after everything but God. This is the problem with humanity, man. Christians or non-Christians, right? Christians are supposed to be better with this, but this is the natural tendency of Christians and non-Christians. But here's what's so interesting to me about King David in this text. What separates King David from the majority of us, and me included, is in the midst of this chaos, he goes after one specific thing. He chooses to go after the one thing that creates confidence, joy, peace, and intimacy with God that I desperately want, and I desperately need, and you desperately need. So I'm going to give you the solution, the blessings to the solution, then I'm going to shut up and we're going to finish the night worshiping. Cool? So here's the solution. We got the problem. Here's the solution. Like David, go after the one thing. Like David, go after the one thing. Points are about, you guys are amazing. The screen's behind me. I was looking at these screens. Thank you guys so much. Amazing. Cool. Look at that. Thank you, God. Amazing. Okay, so... The solution, like David, go after one thing. You're going, okay, so what is the one thing? What are you talking about? Well, really, it's three things. Because from this text, David says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. So point number one to the solution, dwell in his presence. Dwell in his presence. This word dwell, it means to sit still and remain or to slow down and abide. To sit still and remain or to slow down and abide. Here is what David is saying in this text when he says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David is saying, I want to live in God's presence and be with him 24-7. I want to acknowledge his presence Every minute of every day. He was saying, I want to be in the tabernacle with you, God. I want to live with you, God, just me and you face to face. Which is interesting because think about this. David and us have a different relationship to the presence of God. David was pre-Jesus, dying on the cross, resurrecting the new covenant, right? David is in the old covenant. So David doesn't relate to the presence of God the way we do. David had to go to the tabernacle to experience the full expression of the manifest presence of God. Christian in the room, if you put your faith in Jesus, the presence of God, the full manifestation of that resides in you. Think about this. This is mind-blowing. And because of this amazing reality, we have got to be people that learn how to slow down, get still before the Lord, and sit at his feet. Slow down, get still before the Lord, and sit at his feet. This is what it means to dwell. Look at this story. It won't be on the screen, but I'm going to read it. It's the story of Mary and Martha. You're all familiar with this story. Here's what it says. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, 
You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which, which will not be taken away from her. Do you see the language connection there? David says, one thing I want to go after. In this text, Jesus says, one thing Mary has chosen, and it's the good portion. Side note, Martha always gets a bad rep, right? But Jesus never said what, Mar- what Martha was doing was wrong. He just said what Mary was doing is better. What, what, what Martha was doing wasn't wrong. Jesus just is saying, hey, what Mary is doing is better. It's not that Martha is bad and Mary it's good. Jesus is saying, no, it's Mary's way first, then Martha's. Most of you, I bet, and I don't want to you know, throw a blanket statement, but I'm just working with young adults. Most of you, it's Martha's way first and then Mary. Meaning, God, I'm going to work for you and I'm going to strive for you and I'm going to do things for you to impress you and to earn your love. And Jesus says, no, 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 sit at my feet and dwell with me. Let me teach you who you are. Let me teach you how loved you are. Let me teach you my heart for you. Let me teach you the gifts that I've given you. Let let, let, let me teach you what I think about you. And from that place, let me show you how to partner with me and how you work and live your life. It's Mary, then Martha. Mary has chosen the one thing that that David chose. Dwell with me and sit at my feet. This is also wild, too, that Mary only got to hang with Jesus when Jesus came into town. Again, Old Covenant. We get to walk with the presence of God every single where we go. I wrote a couple questions down. Do you want to know what his voice sounds like? Slow down and dwell with him. Do you want to know what his tone is like? Slow down and dwell with him. Do you want to heal from that thing that happened to you? Slow down and dwell with him. Do you want to process the conglomerations of emotions that drive you crazy daily? Slow down and dwell with him. Do you want to talk to someone who cares about every single detail of your life, big and small, and who always has your best interests at heart? Slow down and dwell with him. Lastly, do you want to release shame and feel empowered in your discipleship to Jesus? Slow down and dwell with him. Can I just hot take? It's not a hot take. People have been saying this for years. It's not necessarily just pulled straight from the Bible, but I believe the Bible teaches on it, and you can pull a a, a principle from this. So take it or leave it, whatever. Hurry is arguably the number one enemy to dwelling with God. I believe that. Hurry is arguably the number one enemy to dwelling with God. Have you ever realized Jesus was never in a hurry? Like Jesus, not one time, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, do we see Jesus running. He was never in a hurry. Right? Jesus was busy, but he was not hurried. There's a difference. The difference is we're all busy, right? Like, we're, we're, like we all have things to do, places to be, but, but hurried is, is separate because busy is a condition of your soul. Busy, busyness is internal turmoil, right? And so Jesus had plenty of things to do. Jesus was, was always busy, but the reason Jesus was never hurried was because in the midst of his busyness, he still chose to take time all throughout his day to dwell with his heavenly father. That's the difference. And so I would just challenge you, if you're too busy to sit still and be quiet and spend time with the creator of your soul, you probably need to reevaluate your pace of life and the schedule that you have. And listen, I'm all for working hard and grinding and putting your hand to the plow, right? Like all of those are, are good things. Um, but a lot of us use our, our calendars as an excuse to not dwell with God. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Slow down. Dwell with 
him. Blaise Pascal, a French philosopher and theologian, said this, all of humanity's problems stem from their inability to sit alone and be quiet. All of humanity's problems stem from their inability to sit alone and be quiet. I believe that to be true. When was the last time you sat down quiet with God and just enjoyed, enjoyed his presence? Not because of anything he could do for you, but because you just want to enjoy him and be with him. <coughs> My good friend, last quote, Mayor Knox. She's a teaching pastor here at New Spring. She says this, if we don't slow down, we're going to miss the very heartbeat of Christianity altogether. <coughs> Excuse me dwelling with him. And I need you to hear me loud and clear this idea of dwelling with God. This is the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. That Adam and Eve are put in a garden by God. God is dwelling with them. It says he's walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, dwelling with them. Adam and Eve rebel against God. Re relationship is broken. And for the rest of the story of scripture, God is relentlessly pursuing humanity. Why? To dwell with them to dwell with him. Hear me, he longs for you to slow down and abide in him. Take him up on that offer. Number two, not only do we need to slow down and dwell, we do this so that we can gaze on his beauty. So David says, one thing I ask this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Here's what this word gaze mean. Gaze mean in the original language. To behold, to look at thoughtfully, <clears throat> and to experience in the heart. To behold, to look at thoughtfully, and to experience in the heart. FCA, what are you gazing on? It's going to give a little conviction here. We ready? I felt this conviction, so you got to feel it too, okay? What are you gazing on? When it comes to gazing, right, we all do this naturally. This isn't like a new thing. This isn't like a new skill. Every person, believer or non-believer, we naturally gaze on things, specifically things that are beautiful. Why? Because our hearts are enamored by beauty. That's how God designed us, right? I've heard it said that our hearts are designed to be discipled by beauty. So the questions become, what are you enamored with? What, 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 what is your mind and heart gazing on? Here's a simple question to think through. In a normal day or week, what do you think about or look at the most? Because whatever that thing is, that is what is informing your life the most. And whether you like it or not, you become what you behold. Whether you like it or not, you become what you behold. Psalm says, above, Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Or in other words, guard what you put in your heart. Guard what you put in your mind. Guard what you put in your soul because that is actually informing the type of person that you are becoming. This is why, listen, this is my bone to pick with this generation. Listen, that's why we got to stop saying things like li listening to certain types of music or watching certain types of movies or TV shows is legalism. It's not. It's not. What you're putting into your brain, what you're putting into your mind is informing the person you're becoming. The things that you gaze and behold is actually what you're becoming. I was, I was, I gotta be honest, I love rap music. Love rap music. Like old school rap music, I just do, okay? Whatever. I just, I always have, okay? And I was, the other day I was listening to some music and God just was like all up in my grill. He was like, hey, I don't want you to listen to this. If you heard the lyrics of this song, you would all be appalled. You would judge me hard. It was just a terrible song. And God was just like, hey, what is this doing to your heart? 
what is this doing to your mind? And I repented. I said, God, you're right. That's not legalism. That is me trying to guard my heart. More stats. Young adults, 18 to 24, spend three hours a day on social media and a total of nine hours a day on media consumption in general from texting, movies, Netflix, social media, music, etc. And hear me, like, I'm not like the grumpy old man who's like anti-social media, okay? But I do, hear me, but I do think social media is the silent assassin to gazing on the beauty of God. I'm going to say that again. I think social media, media is the silent assassin to gazing on the beauty of God. The question isn't if you're being formed or if you're being discipled. The question is who or what are you being formed and discipled by and do you want to become that thing? David says, God, I want to gaze on your beauty I want to be face to face with you. And hear me loud and clear. I need you to hear this. There is beauty in the nature of Jesus. He he possesses the the, the fullness of beauty. Everything you see in nature, in creation, it points to his beauty. There's this realm of of treasure and, and excitement and joy and awe and wonder and gazing on the beauty of God. And unfortunately, uh, so many of us gaze on so many other things and never get to fully experience it. And that saddens me. Also, let me just go here for a second. So, hear me. Hear me. Because this is prevalent in the, in, the, in, the, in the Bible Belt South. A lot of us, we have great head knowledge of God, but very little experience of him. Lots of head knowledge, great theology. It's funny. I love it because I love theology. A lot of students are like, hey, man, can we go to lunch and talk theology? I'm like, yeah, great. I love it. But it's just like there's so much knowledge of God and head intellectual knowledge, very little experience. And this word gaze in the original language, it's very interesting because the word, it's, it's not an intellectual knowing of God. It's like a five senses. Experience him in your heart. And I want you to hear me that my life personally and my apprenticeship to Jesus begin to change when I knew up, when what I knew up here about God began to shift from experiencing God in my heart. And these moments change where I used, where, where in these moments I would experience Him and go, God, you're amazing and you're beautiful and you're kind and you're holy. And, and, and I want to love you for all of my days because I didn't just know things about Him and I actually got to experience Him. Also, this is how you fight sin, right? You don't fight sin by trying harder, harder or white-knuckling it, but in the midst of temptation, going no, saying no, I have experienced something more beautiful, this, beautiful than this. And in the midst of whatever that thing is, saying I don't want to take my eyes off of that and put it on a lesser beauty. Right? This is how you fight sin. Also, last rant, I promise, okay? Okay, this is serious. Raise your hand if you know somebody, friend, family, <coughs> etc., in the last couple of years that grew up in the church that was following Jesus that is no longer following Jesus. Turn around and look. Look, look everyone turn around and look. Look at this. Right, th- this is, can I, just t- can I just tell you, this, this burdens me. It, it is the saddest part of my job. Saddest part, it's the thing that I grieve over. There are people like you that have served in our church, in our ministries, 
have, I've done life with, I've read the Bible with, I've worshiped with, I've watched them raise their hands in worship. Like I've watched them, like I've seen them, I thought at the time, just like love Jesus and, and, and worship Jesus. And, and now they're not following sin anymore, following sin, following Jesus anymore. Not only are, not, are they not following Jesus, but they're not in the church and they think Jesus is a joke. And I just, I, if I find myself going, what the heck happened? Like, what happened? I, I thought I worshiped with you. We did life together. We read the Bible together. And here's what I think happened. They had head knowledge of God, but they never experienced him in their, in their heart. They had a lot of knowledge and theology and, and did a lot of things for God, but they never actually experienced this, experienced him. And because of this, here's what happened. It hits the fan and anxiety comes and pressure comes and temptation comes and 2020 happens. And the people that have never actually experienced him go, this isn't worth it. This whole Jesus thing isn't work, worth it. The church isn't worth it. And next thing you know, you have mass exile of, of, of this generation leaving the church. And David in this text goes, no, in the midst of armies coming against me, people trying to attack me, I'm going to keep my eyes on you because you're the most beautiful thing. Can I just be honest? I've, I, as a pastor, not even just as a pastor, just as a normal human, like, with the, all the pressures and anxieties of life, there are so many times where I just want to leave. I'm just like, man, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to go eat pizza and watch Netflix and not think about any of my emotions and just forget this whole Jesus thing. And in those moments, I go, wait a second, no, no, no. I've heard his voice. I've experienced him. I've, I've, I've encountered him. I, he's too good. He's too kind. He's too amazing. I can't leave. It's like when Peter said, where else are we going to go? That's how I feel because I haven't just intellectually encountered him. I have emotionally and in my heart experienced him. I can't go anywhere else, nor do I want to. We have to slow down and dwell with him so that we can gaze on his beauty. Why? Because it can change everything. Number three, dwell in his presence, gaze on his beauty, and then number three, inquire of him. Inquire of him. This word inquire in the original language, it means to plow, to break forth, and to seek out at all costs. I love that language, it's aggressive. It's like intentional, it's, it's, it's active, it's offensive. To plow, to break forth, to seek out at all costs. I'll never forget when my wife and I first started dating and flirting and hanging out. And I got to this point, probably wasn't the healthiest, but I was like, I got to have it. I got to have her. Like, I, got, I need her. I want to know her. I want to, I want to hear her voice. I, I want to I know her life story. I want to know what her family's like. I want to I wanna know what she likes to eat. Like, I, I, like I, I, need, I, I need her. I want her. Right? It was just this like seeking out at all costs. Why? Because when you're enthralled with the beauty and wonder of someone, you want to know more about them. When you're enthralled with the beauty and wonder of someone, you want to know more about them. And David is saying, when I dwell with you and gaze on your beauty, I want more and more and more and more and more. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life actively running after you. 
This word is aggressive, man, to plow, to break forth. It's like, I got to get to you. I got to get to know you. Whatever it takes, it all costs. It reminds me of this story uh, of Mary, back to Mary, um, um, the story of the alabaster jar of perfume, right? We've read, you've read this story where, where you got, you got uh, before Jesus dies, uh, before his burial and, and, and resurrection, um, Jesus is rolling with his crew and he's got his disciples and, and, and he's got Mary. And um, it says that uh, Mary breaks this bottle of, of, of expensive perfume, okay? Breaks this bottle of, of perfume. It says a year's salary worth, a whole year, which for me is like $120,000, okay? I'm just kidding. This is a stupid joke. I'm sorry. That's not what I make. It's not even close. Okay? Just lock back in with me. I'm sorry. But it was like a whole year's salary worth. She breaks this perfume and she pours it on the feet of Jesus and starts wiping this perfume with her hair on the feet of Jesus. Here, go with me for a second. You got Judas who speaks up. You remember what Judas says? He looks at her and he's basically like, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you doing this? We could have used this for something else. This is a stupid idea. Judas never experienced Jesus in his heart, and so he gets angry and confused that Mary would do this. He never experienced Jesus in his heart, and so he gets mad and he gets angry and confused that Mary would do this. Why? Because most people who haven't experienced Jesus in their heart, they have a religious spirit and they despise extravagant worship. Most people who haven't really experienced Jesus in their heart, they have a religious spirit and they despise extravagant worship. Mary, on the other hand, she's encountered God plenty of times. And she breaks this jar of perfume and she goes, you can have it all. It doesn't matter. You're worth it. You're worth it. You can have everything. I'm going to do all I can to get to you because you are worth it. we got to slow down and dwell with him. we got to gaze on his beauty, and we have to seek after him at all costs. So we've talked about the problem. We've talked about the solutions, and now I'm going to give you the blessings to the solution very quick, and we'll be done. The blessings to the solution, number one, Protection and peace. Protection and peace. Verse 5 says this. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. I love that. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. I love he says he's going to protect me in his tent. There's context here. Excuse me. In Middle Eastern culture people lived in, in tents don't think like a teepee like big tents and sorry I got some stomach things going on so it's, it's okay and and uh, in, in these cultures if a guest would come inside of the home of a tent it was the owner's utmost priority and joy and duty to protect their guests at all costs I didn't realize this until I, until I studied this but it was their priority it was their joy that they're going to protect their guests at all costs. And God is saying in this text, David is saying that when you spend your life in the tent of my presence, it is God's priority and delight to protect his kids. He's going to protect you. That's what he does. And here's what he's not saying. He's not saying that he's going to pre prevent you from all trouble. What he is saying is I'm going to give you peace and security in the midst of it. 
right? God doesn't promise you a trouble-free life. He promises protection and peace in the midst of it. Paul said this uh, in, in Philippians, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition present your request to God and, 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 and the peace of God will guard your heart. The word guard there in the original language, it's military language. It's like it's going to put a bunker around your heart, a, a, a safe house around your heart. It's like this, this, um, this protection around your heart. I, I got to tell y'all, there are times um, in the morning we'll all wake up, where I'll wake up, and temptation is, is just running rampant or, or emotions or just or, or anxiety or whatever. And I'll just, I'll just go in my closet, I'll shut the door and I'll get on my face and I'll just sit with God and I'll dwell and I'll gaze and I'll pray. And there's this, just this peace that walk, washes over me that I can't explain. You're, I don't even know what, what to tell you. You're just gonna have to experience it for yourself. Where I'll just process my emotions with him and I'll yell at him sometimes and I'll, and I'll act like a crazy man. It's like David in the Psalms. I, prom- I think David's bipolar. One minute he's like, God, I love you and I praise you and I exalt you. Next minute he's like, I'm crazy. You know, he's always back and forth. And sometimes you got to do that in your prayer life. And when you bring those emotions to the surface and when you begin to process those things with God, there's healing that happens. There's peace that begins to manifest. Protection and peace. And number two, joy. Joy. Verse 6, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in this tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. David says in the midst of all of this, armies coming against me, David's trying to murder me, my son's rebelling against me, I can still shout for joy. See, what I've realized about running to all of those other things we talked about earlier other than God all they are are false refuges and false joys, right? What I mean by that is in the moment, they look like they promise you things, joy, peace, excitement, pleasure, etc. But they always overpromise and underdeliver every time. And what they usually end up doing is making you feel more anxious, more depressed, more upset, more insecure, etc whether it's sex or partying or relationship or whatever that thing is you run to, it's an opportunity to escape from reality and it always overpromises and underdelivers. But hear me, the dwelling, gazing, and inquiring lifestyle always overpromises and always overdelivers, especially in the joy and the protection that God wants to give you. So let me end with this. I need you to hear me loud and clear. Moments are going to come for you, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, in the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months, the next couple of years, where you're going to have an opportunity, what are you going to run to? Anxieties, mental health, temptation, and you're going to have a choice to make. And my prayer is that you would choose what David did, to dwell, to gaze, to inquire. The rain's going to come, the wind's going to blow, the temptation is going to be right in your face. And I hope in these moments you'll choose the Psalm 27 lifestyle. So I asked you at the beginning, FCA, what will your one thing be 
And I'm going to ask you again, moving forward, what will your one thing be? As the band can come back on and um, we're about to worship and um, in the night, here, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Um, I, I believe God is just like stirring something in a lot of you. And I believe he's calling a lot of you to make him his one thing. And, and, and today needs to be just like a stake in the ground where I am determined and I'm committing to, Jesus, you're my one thing. That doesn't mean you're never going to mess up. That doesn't mean you're not going to get it right. What that means is in those moments when you do mess up or when you do have anxiety or when you do whatever, you run to him and not those other things. You fight for that. You fight for that. And so I'm just going to challenge you. If that's you and you feel that, I want to ask you while we come up and worship and sing this song, Give Me Jesus, You Are My One Thing. It's the lyrics of the song. I'm just going to ask you to come forward and, and, and get on, flood this altar. From there to there up here. Some of you need to get on your face and cry. For some of you, you just need to get up here and gaze on his beauty. Just, just, just sometimes you need to physically act on what God is spiritually doing inside of you. And I just want to challenge you for, the, for those of you that God is spiritually doing inside of you, physically come move. Physically come move. Will you let Tim FCA be your one thing? Father God, we love you. And I just pray that, that you would, in every heart, in every mind, uh, speak. Uh, wh whether it was one little point I said or one little kind of off thing that I said or one major thing or whatever it may be, God, would you just speak individually to every person in this room? And we declare, God, <clears throat> that you are our one thing and we want you to be our one thing because in that place there's joy, there's peace, there's protection. We need you, God. Teach us how. Teach us how. Would you teach us how to dwell? Would you teach us how to gaze? Would you teach us how to inquire in your temple? We want more of you, God. And would our season in Clemson be marked by you, our one thing. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.